welcome. Welcome to the Talking Transformation podcast presented to you from the Western Cape Pod Bunker located here in the heart of Cape Town, South Africa. This pod is presented to provide a platform and a voice for built environment professionals and interest groups who are working towards transforming the places and spaces here in South Africa. It is dedicated to those individuals and community groups that are supporting both the formal and informal processes that are shaping our cities and our spaces. The Royal Town Planning Institute formed in 1914 and has over a hundred years of history serving its members and the interests of the planning and built environment. It's an organisation that has international reach and a membership of more than 25,000 members. The RTPI, as it's commonly known, promotes policy and research activity for its members, as well as providing planning aid, free and independent professional advice to communities and individuals who cannot pay consulting fees. If you go and take a look at their vibrant website, you'll find their vision on their homepage reading The Royal Town Planning Institute champions the power of planning, creating prosperous places and vibrant communities. Equally prominent is a campaign that the RTPI is currently running, the Plan the World We Need campaign. The campaign is calling on the UK and Irish governments to capitalise on the expertise of town planners to achieve a sustainable, resilient and inclusive recovery from the COVID-19 pandemic. You can find and watch the video link that's been made available via the YouTube channel, which the RTPI runs. And you'll see there that many of the issues that the campaign is highlighting resonate very closely with our own South African built environment issues. Issues like affordable housing, the regeneration and repurposing of land, buildings and public spaces. The whole question of home working and what that means for the land uses within our cities and spaces economic recovery and stimulus. All of these are part of the campaign. In today's Talk and Transformation podcast, we hear from the Royal Town Planning Institute President 2020, Sue Manns. We learn of Sue's ambitions leading this globally recognized organization, the value proposition of the RTPI, and the lived experience of her presidency in this period of unprecedented economic crisis and job insecurity. Sue's a private practitioner working from Birmingham, England, and over an impressive 40-year career, she has served within both the public and private sectors and lectured on planning law and practice. Other than our own planning backgrounds, she and I share one other thing in common, having both studied and graduated from the University of Manchester many, many years ago. At a time when we're looking for answers and solutions to complex professional and built environment challenges here in South Africa, we ask how are the RTPI engaging? How are they going about learning from their members, understanding what it is they need and how they can contribute in a more meaningful manner. What is it we can look to introduce here in South Africa and are there experiences that we can share with them that they in fact could learn from us? We'll be following up this episode with a review of the survey that has been undertaken over the last two and a half weeks where we have sought to canvas the opinions and reflections of our planning professionals across the country. So local content and local opinion will return very shortly. We hope you enjoy the episode and as always encourage your feedback through our social media platforms including Twitter, you can find us at Talking Transfo in the number one or leave us a voice message on our voice message service on the Anchor podcast platform. Enjoy the conversation with Sue Manns, President RTPI 2020.
So it's just coming up to six o'clock here on Wednesday, the 15th of July here in South Africa. Up in Birmingham in the UK, uh, I'm absolutely privileged to have the president of the Royal Town Planning Institute, Sue Manns. Sue, how are you keeping today? Welcome to the Talking Transformation podcast and thanks so much for making some time to talk to us. Well, hi, Pete, and thank you for inviting me. It's my privilege to actually join you all today. Uh, How am I doing today? Well, I'm fine, but I must admit it's a little bit chilly up here. We've managed 13 degrees uh, and it is July the 15th. 13 degrees, I thought, in the UK that was sunbathing weather. Uh, Has it changed since I was last there? (laughs) As, As you might have heard, we've had it quite rough here in South Africa. We had a cold front that came in and a very wet, uh, stormy uh, last few days here in Cape Town in particular, um, some real real issues, you know, uh, some neighbourhoods and communities that have been flooded and, yeah, it's just caused a bit of havoc. So the weather really causing us problems down here. I'm glad to hear you're okay, though, and this period that we're in, um, even up in the United Kingdom, I know over the last couple of weekends you've been moving towards a more, let's call it, new normal um, but how has how has things been during this period of lockdown for you, your business, and and your members? You're the president of one of the most internationally recognised membership brands in the in the world. How how have you been keeping, and how have your people been doing? Um, well, firstly, just a little bit about the RTBI. As you say, we are a membership organisation, and we have over twenty five thousand members across the world. So probably about twenty three thousand in the UK and Ireland, and then two thousand spread across the world. So it is a very diverse organisation. But to go back to your original question, sort of about where we are today, I was reflecting on this when you you'd sent me a couple of uh, suggestions of things you might be talking about. Well, my, my thoughts were really that the world we live in today is very, very different to the one that we were enjoying only six months ago. Change has happened and it's happened very, very quickly. Here in the UK, as you said, whilst the number of new cases and the death rate have both fallen, it's very, very unlikely that life as we knew it in 2019 is going to return in the foreseeable future. And uh, the other thing that's really um, prominent in the news at the moment is something that we're bracing ourselves for, and that's a significant second wave of infection as uh, we come into this next winter. So um, a lot to think about in terms of that. But for the past six months, I, like many of my colleagues, have been working from home. And the focus of planners and the planning profession has been on ensuring that the planning system continues to function. And the RTPI conducted a member survey very early in the lockdown period. That identified a number of temporary changes that we needed to ask government to put in place if we were going to ensure that effective running of the planning system. And those included Mm. things like extending the life of planning permissions that were due to expire this year. Right. uh, Giving us guidance on um, safe working practices. Uh, We have a system of delegated decision making and it's how could that be extended How could we use virtual technology to uh, enable planning committees to continue? Uh, So all of these sorts of things fed back in the survey. And we were able to work with government to try and get an awful lot of those temporary measures in place. And I'm pleased to say that the last piece of the jigsaw is uh, currently going through Parliament at the moment. And that's the one that extends the the life of those consents that were due to expire this year. So uh, with the focus of the last six months have, has been very much on that business as usual. But we've done it with about, based on our survey results, 97% of our members actually working from home. And that's one that's amazing. Achievement. It really is an amazing achievement. 
obviously, as you said at the start, things offices are starting to open again. But I think change is going to be very gradual, especially in the context of the potential for things to get worse again uh, in the winter. Yeah. We have, we have managed it, and uh, local planning authorities have, have been absolutely amazing. Um, we've now got planning committees meeting online. We've got all those sorts of things in place. What's really interesting to me, and it'll come out as we talk, because my, my real interest is in community engagement, is that there are consistent reports across the UK of higher levels, and I'll use the word in inverted commas, attendance at planning committee when really? they are virtual. And that it, is interesting. It, it is, and it's bringing... The, the greater transparency to planning decision making. So uh, there's some there's some real good as well as challenges that have come out of it. From my side, you know, congratulations on your presidency for 2020. It's a, if I understand correctly, it's a voluntary role. And I know, you know, looking at your biography, you've played many different supporting roles, but this is the, the big one. This is the presidency. And I was listening to your inaugural address, and I think you can find it online on YouTube, in fact, uh, when you started the role in January. And you talked about ensuring that planning becomes more reflective of society's needs. And already you've said, you know, there's an example where people are getting more involved through the online platforms in things like planning committees and more responsive. How, how would you frame some of those other immediate challenges that you're facing within that sort of planning profession there in the United Kingdom and Ireland? For me, uh, I'm just going to focus, we've got a, like every planner, we face a range of challenges. There are so many, it's difficult to sort of quantify sure. them. But there are three big ones that uh, that I'll come back on if I can. The first one, it, it, to me, it's actually starting with what we want the planning profession to be like in the future. And as you picked up, it's about the need to reflect society. And at the moment, whilst the gender balance in our membership is improving, women still only make up 39% of our members. And BAME groups, similarly underrepresented, making up only 4% of our UK membership. That right. is good enough. But actually, it's worse than that. When you start not to, you start to unpick those numbers, what do they actually look like when you're looking at the hierarchy, looking at the planning top table? And from my perspective, it is simply not acceptable that women make up less than 20% of those in senior positions in our profession. And I'm sure that you will agree with me, talent doesn't rest with one particular section of society, nor does the ability to plan for those who lead different lives. One of the things that I'm incredibly conscious of is that decisions that are taken within what I'd call an echo chamber tend to reflect the views of those in that chamber, those sitting around that table. And we feel good when other people validate our views. And we feel even better when people tell us what we actually already know. And that doesn't bring in this diversity of thought that we need to inform good decision making. And for complex issues such as those tackled by planners, I don't believe that it is simply possible that it is possible for simply one person or indeed a group of people from similar backgrounds to have all the relevant insights. So 
One of the things that I did when uh, I became vice president and joined the board of RTBI, and that was the year before 2019, was I became board champion for equality, diversity and inclusivity. And we spent 2019 developing our corporate strategy, but as part of that, actually developing an action plan that aims to tackle this challenge of equality, diversity and inclusivity. And just before lockdown, 25th of February, before everything really started to to change, I actually was able to launch that action plan. And there's all sorts of things in it. It's on our website. It's free to access for anybody who wants to look at it. And I would really encourage anyone to do that. It's full of ideas and actions that um, organisations and the Institute itself can take on board to try and tackle this problem. And the Black Lives Matter campaign really brings home the importance of this action plan, because a lot of the things that people are calling for in that campaign are actually reflected in the action plan. So we've got to drive this forward. So that that's one part of it. Now, linked to that about diversity in the profession To me, it's also about diversity of who we engage with and community engagement, because if we don't hear from all voices and all sections of society in the community, our decisions similarly are not so well informed. Mm. Why, Why you and I came into planning? Planning is actually for and about people and the spaces and the places that people use. And planning matters. The legacy of the decisions that we take as planners are going to outlive us by generations and they will impact on so many lives. And therefore, we need to listen to everybody in reaching those decisions. It's not just those who shout the loudest. I'm not sure about you, but um, in South Africa, but what we tend to see when we do community engagement in the UK, in a typical community engagement, is a domination by a certain section of society. And that section tends to be the over 55s. They tend to be white and they tend to be male. Now, I really do want to hear because there'll always be white, male, over 55s. It's so important we hear from them. But what about the others? We are almost always missing that 21 to 35 age group. They very rarely feed back. So we have to find different ways of capturing their views because actually it's their future and their children's future that we're thinking about. Really, we've got to look at how we're doing in this country on community engagement. And that's one of the challenges that I brought with me before COVID-19 and I think is actually even more important post-COVID-19 or in as we start to recover. Because when we went through this pandemic, the way we lived our lives changed. Lives became very, very much more local. And people sure. started having to having to look at their local area in a different way. Um, they were they were exposed to the strengths and the weaknesses of their individual homes. Were they fit for home working? Whether they've got private open space or access to good quality green space. How long it takes you to get to a food shop if you need food? And for me, I can tell you now, if I want to go and buy some food from the nearest my nearest co-op local shop, then it's actually a seven mile walk or I've got to drive in a car. So (laughs) that's one thing it's exposed to me about my environment because there is no public transport from where I live to take me to that shop. But it's also about other services. Now, we've all, everybody in society has experienced that as part of COVID-19. And that has stimulated a debate and discussion about places and about the sort of places we want for our children and others. So 
the time is right really now to reach out to communities who've come together to support each other and know what works to actually start to bring them in in planning and engagement in the future of planning. And let's see if we can increase the pretty low response rates that we actually have when we do go out and engage, because we do really need that to be much more inclusive. The final challenge, I said there were three, and it's the one that hasn't gone away, climate change. It was there before, it's still there. And unlike COVID-19, we can't turn around and say, we didn't have advanced warning of climate change or its impacts. We did. We know exactly what's coming. And just as COVID has, climate change and its impacts will have a disproportionate effect on disadvantaged in society and a disproportionate effect in certain places uh, as opposed to other places. And it's how we actually come together to address that. So all those things, those three really big issues have got to fit together as we move forward in our recovery. Each of those issues there that you've you've mentioned, Sue, are so relevant to South Africa. And one day we can maybe do, you can ask me some questions about how we're dealing with them because, you know, they echo the same challenges that we've got this side. And uh, that's why I always thought that this was going to be a very interesting conversation. It's interesting to hear things about representativity, about the the perennial issues like climate change and the like are, are very, very relevant here in South Africa. And that really brings me to the question of the RTPI being a professional regulatory body, uh, you, your members it, it, it are members by statute. I mean, there's a, I think there's a legal town planning act where you register through and you're the, the body that does that. How do you think on the one hand in this period and looking to the future, you can provide value to your members? And on the second side of it, it's almost two sides of the same coin. On the one side about membership and your members and how you serve them. But on the other side, almost the assurance that such a body like the RTPI provides to the public to make sure that there's value and relevance to the profession, to the communities of the United Kingdom and Ireland. Well, the RTPI has been around since 1914 and the uh, the Royal Charter happened about 60 years ago. So we're actually just at the point of celebrating that at the moment. But not all planners in the UK have to be members to be able to practice. At the moment, probably about 75% of people who call themselves or describe themselves as planners are members of the Royal Town Planning Institute. Now, that's something that we are really keen to address. We want to be able to to demonstrate that value of membership to those 25% who are not members and grow our membership uh, much, much broader. And we are a membership society, but we're also a learned society. So in terms of um, your question there about how can we what, you know, what can we do in terms of the, the future of planning? Then a lot of work we do, a lot of research we do, informs approaches, solutions. It provides good practice guidance. And again, what I'd say to everybody, it's available from across the world, free of charge to anybody. Go onto our website and look at some of the research that we've actually published there. Because I think, again, there is, I'd love to have a further conversation and learn more about South Africa. But what I do know is that, as you said, we're facing many problems at the same and sharing knowledge globally is so, so good because you can reflect on what you've read and then apply it to your own, your own situation. The other thing about being a membership body is that we've got a very, very strict code of conduct and we have ethical standards of practice. 
And what has really jumped out to me, and it's something that, you know, I'm I'm very keen that when I reach out that 25% who aren't members that I make sure they're aware of as well, is that the importance that is placed on that code of conduct and our ethical standards of practice by organisations who may be commissioning work. And I was um, recently at the World Urban Forum in Abu Dhabi and uh, had a chance conversation with some government officials uh, who were out there to promote UK planning as, as a sales opportunity for the UK. And what they actually pulled out was this code of conduct and the ethical standards of practice as something that puts RTPI planners, chartered town planners, at the front of the global profession. And it's the fact we are bound by that. And if you break that code of conduct, then there is a complaints procedure and you can be struck off. So it is rigorously sure. enforced. And I think that that's something that's, you know, it's quite unique and quite special. And it it really puts us on that pedestal. One of the campaigns you're running right at the moment is this, uh, I'm going to say the hashtag plan the world we need campaign. This seems to be very directly relevant to not only the UK, but it's almost like a global planning agenda, affordable housing, the regeneration, repurposing of land and buildings and so forth. I mean, this is something that you obviously spent some time in thinking on. And how is that message being re- being received by your members and more broadly, the public at large? There is a recognition in the UK that we, we do have to make some changes. We recognise that the pandemic has had an unequal impact. And part of that impact has been as a result of the place that people are, are living in. And I'm sure that that is something we really do share in common. Another factor, because it's all part of context, isn't it? Another factor that, that's worth sharing with you is a recent announcement by our Prime Minister that in the House of Commons that he wants to see a radical shake-up of our planning system. Now, whilst nobody, as I said a few minutes ago, would claim that our system is perfect, what has been amazing has been the number of commentators who've started to question and challenge this need for wholesale change. Is it the right time? Well, I certainly don't think so. And they've also started questioning some of the proposals that are being floated out for this change. So in terms of timing for us in the UK of the launch of Plan the World We Need, it is absolutely spot on in terms of challenging our own government, but it's also got the double win of it's absolutely the right time in terms of the way we recover as a world for from COVID-19. And this whilst the focus may be on the UK and Ireland, as I mentioned earlier, we've got over 2,000 members internationally. So this is not just UK focus. This is where people can pick up and share and play with some of those ideas. At the heart of it is this campaign that we think planners should be centre and front of the recovery and that that recovery should be focused on a greener place-based recovery and it should be a fair recovery. In this report, we make very clear that The approach that has to be adopted, which is really suited to our planning system, is one that is both strategic and holistic. It must be one that maximises investment in public and active transport, healthy placemaking, renewable energy, smart grid technology, resilient infrastructure, climate mitigation, investment in communities and delivering the right houses in the right places, all things which I'm sure, as you said, resonate 
across everyone. But somebody needs to bring it together. So whilst we here may have an announcement of large investment in infrastructure happening around the country, somebody has got to tie that together with house building, with all the other things, with the retrofit, with renewable energy. And we are not alone in saying this. There are many organisations that are actually sharing this message. And that is what is so encouraging. So for us, it comes at a time where, yes, we're responding to COVID. Yes, we're responding to challenges for a shakeup to our planning system, but it's also resonant across the world. So we've got an awful lot of work to do over the coming months on that particular aspect. If, if your listeners actually go again to our RTPI website, what we've done in the last week is actually set up a hub on the website, which is hashtag plan the world we need. And within that hub, we are starting to upload some of the other work that goes with what we're doing. So we've just uploaded a new report, which is about healthy placemaking, healthy places and placemaking. And there, that's really interesting survey of different places and trying to draw lessons from that and how we can actually bring health into placemaking. So lots of recommendations flowing from that. And that sort of constant publishing more information, more reports is going to happen over the next six months. And as we gradually start to sort of really raise the profile, and it's the learned society element as well, raise that profile of what can be done. And tell me, how are you getting your information out, Sue, to your members? I see you've got a very slick, contentful website, but you've also got this YouTube channel. And there, what was really interesting to me was almost this sort of DIY series of webinars, uh, yourself, your CEO, Victoria Hill, presenting and discussing with members particular themes of the day. I mean, this is quite, this, this is really, to me, very innovative and impressive. The fact that you got your members are out there having these discussions, uh, putting them on, uh, on, on a YouTube channel that allows people, whether it's their members or not, to listen to these discussions. And I'm assuming that this is part of the, the thinking about growing the agenda, as you say, an open website where any member or not, you can come and at least look at the resources that are being developed. I mean, this is really this idea of what I guess almost sort of an open learning platform that you're providing. And uh, that sounds a really exciting space for the planning profession to be playing in. We've obviously we share our resources openly, but we also do just for members. We have to have a benefit of membership, and we do have our own. We do have learning modules which are accessible to members, and they really home in on the CPD continuing professional development skills that members need um, and the learning that they need to do. Because part of being a learned society, part of being a membership organisation, and part of our code of conduct is keeping up to date with everything that is going on. And we do expect our members to do 50 weeks worth of CPD, continuing professional development, every two years. So it can be spread over that time. But to help them, we actually have these learning modules online and they cover things you know, from viability of development through to what I'm working on at the moment, which is community engagement. So there's a huge range of them. We've just put one up on uh, mental health. And that's interesting because in the COVID pandemic, with people working from home, very, very conscious of the impact that has on mental health. There are all sorts of things there. So having said that, because I didn't want to forget that bit, um, go back to the YouTube that you were talking about. And it's, I'm so pleased that you actually enjoyed that because... One of the things we've done every year is we have a big planning convention 
And traditionally, it takes it's spread over a day uh, with speakers from all over the world, um, keynote speakers coming in. Well, now, of course, COVID got in the way. And yep. <laughs> uh, we, we had to think on our feet here and think, well, oh, my goodness, you know, how are we going to how are we going to do this? We've got all these fantastic people lined up. Um, and, but we still need to do something. Now, this year we had actually expanded it to two days uh, because we got so many good speakers. We thought, right, we've got to go online. So this was our first attempt, all of this YouTube thing, to, to put the planning convention online as an alternative planning convention, spread it out over a week. We put together a series of uh, webinars and uh, YouTube videos. And then we had members and member organizations say, can we come and do one? Can we come and do one? And it was absolutely incredible. It really, really does make make a big difference. And obviously, listening to um, the, some of the debates that actually happens that's that's a form of continuing professional development. And and just For to sure. re, just to reinforce that, it is fifty five zero weeks uh, zero. that you have. Sorry, hours. <laughs> Goodness me, I'm just uh, not uh, on time. I, 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 I was going to query, is it 50 oh. hours or 50 weeks? 50 weeks is a long time, Sue. Oh, even, my goodness. Yeah. Maybe it feels like that to me. <laughs> it, it, we'll, bl- we'll blame it on COVID and it's all good. Oh, Don't worry. Fifth, so it's, f- it's five zero hours, hours that, five your, zero that your members hours. are... The, the YouTube um, for the Planner Live online, we had 3,000 members view the webinars that you signed up for. That's amazing. Over. That's impressive. And, yeah, That's and a really thousand. impressive. Congratulations. On, on top of that, another 4,000 from across the world, you know, not just UK and Ireland, but another 4,000 who watched the videos. So for doing something which was a response to a situation that we found ourselves in, and for a first time, my goodness, you know, how effective that was. And the feedback that I've had from members, and it's far exceeded the the attendance we'd have at a physical event, was how inclusive it was, because it enabled people to watch at a time that suited them. They didn't have to travel or spend money. They could just, you know, after they'd had their evening meal, they could sit down, they could pick off a sort of 45 minute, one hour session and really feel that they, you know, they'd learned something on that. So, and that counts for, back to this 50 hours, CPD. (laughs) These are massively impressive figures, Sue. And again, just in a a really innovative way of going about things and building almost a movement within the the, the profession. I think that's, I, I am so pleased because this was a first, you know. And yes, there were the odd tech things that, you know, with somebody upside down. But, you know, that's great. Because we're not all perfect. <laughs> but the other thing I just wanted to... That wasn't, to... Your, wasn't your Australian members then, no? <laughs> The other thing I just wanted to bring out that's really, I think, very special about the RTPI, and that is that about 10% of our members actually volunteer for the RTPI in one way or another. We have a range of roles that people can get involved in, uh, and that goes from the RTPI board and the General Assembly through to our local regions and nations, um, and they have committees. And we also have something called Planning Aid, which is focused on helping people who can't afford to pay for a professional planner to assist them. And chartered town planners volunteer to actually uh, give their time for nothing to help those people. And I think that is incredibly 
um, important and really places us in a very, very Very special position. The networks that, again, are volunteer-led, we've got networks on topics. There are some on sort of the um, regeneration focus. There's one on housing. But I was very, very privileged, again, when I was out in Abu Dhabi, to meet up with a group of young planners. They were probably all under 30, and they had set up um, a network in Abu Dhabi, uh, in the United Arab Emirates, as sort of to bring together the RTPI chartered town planners who worked out there. And it was absolutely brilliant. Um, So it's not just UK. Uh, But what we did last week was I was actually really, really pleased to launch a volunteer strategy that uh, sets out, and again, it's on our website, sets out the opportunities that are available for members to get involved and how we, as the RTPI, will try and make sure that their experience is a good one. And my experience in every role I've taken voluntary for RTBI, and this goes back 20, 30 years of volunteering in different ways, has been a brilliant experience. And if anyone has got any interest in setting up networks in South Africa, please do it. You know, I really appreciate you sharing the, 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 these thoughts and, you know, you can hear the enthusiasm that you have and it's clear that it's having a very positive impact on your membership and, you know, good luck because I guess when you start to, you, something like a convention that you describe as an annual sort of marquee event for you, I've no doubt that you'll already be thinking about next year's version and how you can look at maybe a, a hybrid of both the online and uh, and a real time, assuming that the COVID allows for that. Maybe a, a hybrid version of that next year. You're absolutely spot on. <laughs> I think yeah. that's absolutely the way forward. Because whilst 2020 is certainly not the year I ever expected to have as a president, there is so much learning and so much positive yeah. that has come out of the experiences that as a world we have shared. And the opportunities from virtual engagement. We talked about it at the start with virtual planning committees, but virtual uh, conventions online and the the way it opens up and includes people. There'll always be people we need to look at carefully and support those who are excluded, but they're often the same people excluded both physically and digitally. They they tend to fall into those same groups. So we must never forget that. But Absolutely. It is it is this sort of 90% that we can open up to. Wow, I love it. When you and I talked last week in, in preparation for today and our discussion, we both reflected on a time in our career when we'd come out right at the beginning of it, where we'd both come out of our respective planning school there in Manchester and into extremely depressed and difficult job markets, where as a graduate planner, it was really difficult. And I suspect that across the world right now, uh, wherever people have been studying through tertiary education, town planning courses, people are going to be finding themselves really in a very difficult space uh, with a very depressed job market, a global recession that will be long and hard hitting for even those in, in work at the moment. But I mean, let's just take it back to you also have a branch called the RTPI Young Planners, if I understand, an affiliation which tries to keep the interests of young planners, show them a way into the profession, both during and after their studies. 
Can you tell us a bit about that? I think it's really important because it's particularly here in South Africa, again, an issue which has really, really shown its uh, head over the last few months and years for that matter of young professionals trying to find their way and finding themselves really up against it in terms of the job market. The, the young planners are our future. They really are. And the young planners that I meet, their enthusiasm is absolutely infectious. Uh, they've they've made a choice to go into planning, and they they really want to be to get involved and make a difference. I think for many of them that the environment that we're in at the moment, whilst it may be frustrating them in terms of um, the ability, the, the shortage of jobs that is inevitable as organisations contract to be able to respond to the economic situation that we find ourselves in. They also see the need for planning being even more important than ever. Now, there's a couple of things that we that I'll pick up on the, on young planners. Firstly, the young planners networks that we've got. Each of our regions uh, and nations in the UK and Ireland have got young planner networks. And those young planner networks, the chair will always sit on the regional manage, regional activities committee, regional management boards and the nation's committees. And so they've got a direct line from young planners into you know, being part of the RTPI sure. structure. But those young planners put on the most incredible events for young planners within their areas. So I've been privileged to go to, to a few of them and um, do challenge them about what do you mean by young, you know? <laughs> I'm young at heart. I may not be young at age, but I'm young at heart. So they yeah. have incredible speakers who come along. They have uh, people who actually, who you know, spend time actually talking about how to uh, how to gain confidence, how to present at public inquiry, perhaps talking about a particular aspect of planning. And it's real brilliant CPD, again, part of the 50, week, 50 hours, not 50 weeks, <laughs> <laughs> building Love up. But they, they do provide that programme that is actually targeted at young planners. And it's linked to social as well. So it may often then involve going off for a drink at the pub afterwards or going and having a coffee. They've been doing some coffee mornings virtual online during COVID, which are linked to, to topics. We've got a young planner representative on the RTPI board. There is a seat there for a young planner representative. And we also have an award for the young planner of the year. And this year's winner, uh, Robin Skerritt, um, actually works for the Department for International Trade. So it's somebody not in a local authority or a traditional planning consultancy, but somebody who has an international look at planning. We've worked really hard as the RTBI to actually try and improve the, the diversity of the young planners who come into the profession. And as part of that, two things we've been doing. The first one, we, we've launched an RTBI apprenticeship scheme. Uh, and it's part of the government's uh, approach to apprenticeships. And it's a scheme that really is making a difference in terms of access to the profession, particularly for those who perhaps wouldn't have been able for various reasons to have come into the profession. And th this current year is the first sort of academic year of that going through. And we've got 180 apprentices studying to become planning professionals. And that is so inspiring. And one really good thing that was announced by the government recently was an expansion to the apprenticeship scheme. So we think that's really good. As I said, the young planners we've got are committed, they're inspiring, and they're confirmation of the fact that we've got a fantastic future. But I think you're probably going to ask me, and it's a sort of question that I know we faced, Pete, and that is, well, what, what do you do when you can't get your first job in planning? What do, what do you do? Do you give up 
or and find another career? Well, I think my answer to that is no. Don't give up and find another career, but do find a different job that will keep you going because every job that you do will bring skills for you. Skills that are relevant for planning, even though you may not think so. Those skills might be about team working. They might be about working with different groups in society to support them. In fact, one of the best young planners that I ever came across came to work for me from a background as a customer services assistant in one of our large retail stores. And what he learned in customer services about how to deal with people, I have not seen anybody perform like that. He was able to manage people who complained about products, services. He knew how to bring pe- the right people to, pl- you know, into a conversation at the right time. Those skills are absolutely, um, you know, they are learned in a different environment, but absolutely transferable. So just because you don't think they're relevant now doesn't mean they won't be. And another example, again, somebody I was at Manchester with at the same time, who, again, left at the same time as me, very, very difficult job market, and went into accountancy. Didn't like accountancy at all, always wanted to be a planner, and got back into planning. He's now managing director of one of our biggest planning consultancies, and using his accountancy skills and the knowledge he gained there to really add value. So don't ever be despondent. Keep, you know what what passion drove you into planning. Keep that passion, keep that belief, but collect every bit of experience that you can. Because believe me, it comes comes in useful at some point in time. And there's all sorts of ones I've used that I never, ever thought I would do, but uh, I'm really glad I learned them. Well, again, thanks for those words of encouragement. And I really do hope that there are people listening to this podcast who take something from that, take a positive message forward and recognize, as you say, that in the absence of immediate professional opportunity, that there are other opportunities that may be out there that will still lead to supporting you in developing your all-round life skills and those other aspects that will help you when the time does come within that professional planning position. So thanks for that, uh, Sue. Just just, just to add on that, Pete, I think the time will come. The time will come for planning because planning has to be at the forefront of the recovery. In terms of your engagements here in South Africa, I know that our TPI, as you've said, as international members, and I think you've assisted in some of our tertiary institutions, helping with some of the accreditation of courses and so forth. Anything you can tell us about some of the, the plans that you might have for South Africa in, in engaging with with us, with the profession, and what your own and personal ambitions are? I think you were supposed to come here last year, but unfortunately you got sidelined. Well, actually, I was due to come out in November. I've never, I'll be honest, I've never been to South Africa. It is absolutely at the top of my list. Um, well, you'll be very really, welcome. We're waiting for you. Really do want to come. <laughs> I was due to come in November this year. And I was due to be part of what we call the partnership board for the two universities where we accredit uh, RTBI courses, and that's Botswana and Cape Town. 
part of that, it would have given me the opportunity to, you know, to have talked to people there, to have met some of the students and just to understand and explore. But where my involvement with South African planners has actually been the greatest has been I'm an assessor of professional competence. So if you wish to become a chartered town planner, there are a variety of routes. Look at the website uh, and people can apply. And I'm one of the assessors uh, or I was until I took on the, the presidential role. So I, I've stood down for this time. Sure. I've assessed and I was very lucky to assess quite a few South African applicants. And I can honestly say that the the submissions that I had from South Africa were outstanding. Uh, They really, really were. I learned so much about South African planning and some of the issues. But equally, I was absolutely blown over by the professionalism, the ethics and the knowledge of those who applied to be members. And, you know... It's just brilliant. That's all I can say on that. Well, well, that's really encouraging. I'm delighted to hear that we're doing something right. I I would really, really encourage people who, you know, are working in planning. You don't have to have gone through the accredited course. It is obviously a more straightforward route to chartered membership. But we also have routes for experienced practitioners. So, Pete, there's an opportunity for you. <laughs> By the time I've done the conversion uh, of 20 rands to the pound, I'll be a poor man. But certainly <laughs> it is something, Sue. It's, 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 it's certainly something I'd like to look at. It's obviously been one of my burning ambitions going back almost 25 years now, having graduated from Manchester. It's it's one of the things that's on my to-do list, on the bucket yeah. list, of I would like to have RTPI uh, registration. It's something that is very important and personal to me. Where can people find out more about the RTPI, your website address, how you're being, uh, how you're accessible through things like Twitter and YouTube? Uh, maybe you just want to reflect on that, Sue. Right. Uh, well, certainly we've got the website. That's rtpi.org.uk. And that is where we put all our press releases, all our research reports, where you can find out all about membership and just everything that I've been talking about, you know, the volunteer strategy, all of that. We also have blogs for members. And if there's anybody, you know, out there who actually, you know, is a member and wants to write a blog or even not a member and wants to write a blog on something, for example, some of the issues that you're facing in South Africa, that would be absolutely brilliant. Yes, we've got a Twitter account to gain details on the RTBI website, LinkedIn account. Please connect with us, you know, on both of those because RTPI, it's a great way of, you know, getting information out. And uh, I've also Fantastic. got a LinkedIn account. And if anyone wants to uh, to connect, I'd be absolutely delighted. Well, thank you. I think that's how you and I uh, got to meet through LinkedIn. I went it looking is. for you and you, were, and you were so kind to respond. And uh, here we are, I think, two weeks later, having had a, an amazing conversation. Sue, your passion for what you do for the profession that we work in irrespective of geographic location it comes across overwhelmingly strong thank you so much for for sharing your perspective i know you're very much in demand i know you're very busy and for you to spend an hour with us this evening is really really appreciated so thank you thank you pete it has been my pleasure and thank you to everyone who's listened Uh, i've really enjoyed it and really honored to have been asked thank you You look after yourself in the coming few uh, months. I hope uh, the UK continues to strengthen its position uh, in the response to the pandemic. And all the very best to you, your members. Maybe we can check in in a year or so's time, find out how you're doing and what else, uh, what you learned from the, the rest of your presidency. That would be super. All the very best, Sue. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of your evening. Thank you. 
We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Talking Transformation podcast. Please engage with us and let us know your thoughts on this episode. You can do so via the Anchor podcast platform. There's a voice message function available via the app. You can also follow us on Twitter via Talking Transfo and the number one. So Talking Transfo one. Our theme music is kindly made available by Tribal Need. Find out about the music, the street art shows here in Cape Town and Europe via tribalneed.com.